0: Welcome to another edition of Turn Out A Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal from the band Portugal The Man, the great John Gourley is on the show today. And John and I go way back. More on that in one second. But first... If you want to get in touch with this podcast, just head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire. Like John and I are friends and I I couldn't get him to come on the show for forever. And then Tristan made it happen. So thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for the show. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at left4damian. There is a YouTube page, a TikTok page an Instagram page, TikTok, YouTube, and a Facebook page, all for Turned Out of Punk. All those can be found at Turned Out of Punk on their respective platforms. And they're they're all run by Tristan pretty much too. But there's videos up on there. Like we do, I do these Turned Out of Punk videos now and there's other stuff. There's other things that go up on those feeds. So check them and follow them all out. And if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it. Letting everyone you know uh, that likes punk that there's this podcast and they interview all sorts of people on it uh, about punk and yeah, that's how you spread the word. I also play in a band and you can support the band by heading over to fucked up. CC and checking out some of the stuff we have going on. We're going to be going on tour with the great super chunk in the new year at the end of January, along the West coast up of the United States, up into Canada, my favorite place to tour. Like, Going to the West Coast in January with Superchunk, cannabis legalization being where it's at right now. Oh, we're going to have a good time. Come out and hang out. And you can find out all those dates over at fuckedup.cc. We also got records for sale and all sorts of things. We put out a record this year called One Day. It's on the fantastic Merge Records run partly by well, Mac and Laura from Superchunk run it. And you can check out that record. Very proud of that record. Also very proud of the uh, Danko Jones latest record, which I sing on a bunch of tracks on right now. Uh, Danko just told me the other day that uh, I Want to Get High is, it's like top 10 in Germany right now as a song. So that's wild. I've never had a top 10 song, I don't think, in my life. Certainly not with Fucked Up. And also I got to put out an EP with my buddies, like my best friends in the world, who also we did covers with. Uh, earlier this year with Fucked Up The Hallucination So you can check out all those groups And see some stuff that I've been up to And check out what I do when I'm not Punishing people about punk I think that's it Do I have anything else to say? Uh, um, I know that's it Okay, on to today's show As I said off the top John Gourley is here John is someone that uh, I also said off the top I've known for a very long time First met Portugal the man uh, Way back when in Rotterdam At, I think it was called Friendship Day festival, which is very apropos because I kind of hit it off of them immediately. Uh, great people. And to watch their, you know, it's not like a, a meteoric rise because they worked hard and it took a while to do this, but it just shows you like they can write some songs because here they are winning Grammys. Their songs are played all over the place. They are a unbelievable band. And I'm very, uh, very fortunate to call them my friends because they're also great people too. And I'm not just saying that because they're my friends. Like, you look at what they do with their their platform and what they're doing as a band, and it's you can tell that they're trying to make it more than just an ego trip, which can't always be said for uh, successful bands. And they are certainly successful. They've won Grammys. They've got hit songs. And they've got a brand-new, fantastic, uh, beautiful record called Chris Black Changed My Life in tribute to their friend and band family member band member chris black who passed away uh, once again a fantastic record this band knows how to write songs beautiful songs great songs they are going to be going on tour all throughout february in the united states and then i think they're going to mexico after that in march for a festival i believe so get your tickets now go and see uh, portugal man great live band ah such an amazing live band I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I'm going to let you listen to this episode. We talk about Paul Williams. I never get to do that on Turned Out a Punk. And that's like my favorite, my favorite songwriter ever. You'll hear all about it in a second. All right. So sit back, relax, and enjoy John Gourley on Turned Out a Punk. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so happy to be here. This has been literally years in the making, like we we talked about doing this, God, like uh five years ago now, I think,
1: yeah, wow, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we've been looking for an excuse to hang out anyway for exactly that,
0: so yeah and and what better way than on zoom in the in the course of an interview to hang out with someone and really let your hair down but uh well, hopefully hopefully this isn't like a normal interview, and it's just more like a chill hangout, but uh. I will awkwardly insert how I met you, probably at some point in the story too, and we can talk about that. But we got to start this off the way they all start off, which is John Hadjigan, a punk. Remember the first time you came across it? First
1: time I came across punk. Yeah. Um. Okay. So this is like I grew up in Wasilla, Alaska. Uh, We actually had this. um, we, We were we were all like hanging out and like with like the skate scene you know that was that was kind of popping off at the time so um just hanging out together we would go to these like out in front of the ATV shop and these skateboarding there you get kicked out you go stay in front of the bank you get kicked out and, you know skate in the cars the 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 supermarket parking lot you get kicked out so these these kids like we're like traveling around we're getting kicked out of every place um Wes Hubbard, our original keyboard player, and Zach Carruthers, our uh, bassist, they decide that we're going to go to City Hall, Sarah Palin at the time. And they're going to talk to Sarah about getting a skate park built. So they go in, um, just start the discussion at these City Hall meetings. And they're asking for a skate park. It's going to be about $150,000. And Sarah says to them, if you can raise half the money, if you can raise $70,000, $75,000, uh, we'll, we'll give you the skate park. And this is the thing about Sarah Payland. She does not understand community. She does not understand Alaskan community. She doesn't understand what it is to be a kid who's not on the cheerleading squad or in the football team. She doesn't know what that is. Those kids raised that money so quick. They went to like th- the same ATV shop, the Honda shop that kicked them out, donated a four wheeler and a snow machine, and they <laughs> raffled it off. They got the money. So they got this money so fast. Everybody donated. And then it took a year of city hall meetings because they raised the money so quick. Sarah said yeah, she just wasn't expecting them to do it. You know, so these kids had to show up at city hall meetings and be like, the end of every meeting, go, hey, remember the skate park? Like, re- remember the skate park that we talked about? We got to get that built. And it, it just took so much time going through that process. And you just realize, like, yo, know, these people, man, like in, in that same period, she, she built a $15 million ice rink closer <laughs> to her side of the town. We live in a small town, dude. Like, we have an ice rink. There's a hockey rink. And she spent $15 building this other skate rink because it benefited her and her her folks. But these kids that raised the money, they were just like, forget about them. So my introduction to punk is really on a like, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it was like a musical thing for me. It was seeing how this process works, seeing how easy it is for you when you're helping your people, but you forget about all these subgroups and these other people around, you know, there's other people here. Like we all live together and we all operate together. And that's what community is about. And to to me, punk has always been that more than it's been. It's just being organized. You know, it's, it's uh, how, how do I fix this? Like, how do I improve this situation for people around me? And how do I make my voice heard?
0: Yeah. Like it's always been about community building as much as it's been like in, in building something from nothing or we're finding something where there should be something and, and putting it there. And there's such a, an amazing tradition of it, too, coming from Alaska. Like, you know, there's that skate death band and Klingons and psychedelic skeletons. And they ran like I got like a, a label flyer for them and they, they ran a video distribution thing and like, a you know, just built a scene.
1: Yeah, you know what's crazy? I know none of the things you just said. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know what's funny? Fred Armisen did a show in Juno uh, like two nights ago, and he hit me up. He's like, yo, what are some Alaskan punk bands? And I'm like, oh, Skate Death. Like, mention Skate Death, mention Klingons, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And he goes out there, and he mentions Skate Death. And after the show, the drummer was at the show and was like, oh, my God, that's my band. No way. Yeah, I think I talked to Zach a little bit about it too. He said he had heard of skate death and there was kind of like a holdover a little bit because it is skateboarding and it's it's punk, right? So there is sort of that kind of tradition in a way in Alaska, certainly.
1: Yeah, you know, Zach Zach and Eric were, like, really tapped into the music scene there, like, played in all the bands, uh, they did all that stuff. I do, I, I come from a dog-mushing family, like, we lived in the woods. <laughs> like, I, I legit, like, grew up in a, like, we had a one-bedroom cabin, uh, we would take baths in the tin tub, like, the trough, and, uh, yeah, we come to town and, I mean, dude, like, seeing Eric and Zach play, That was like the big, like wheels turning moment where I like, I'm going to school. um, I had done two years homeschool, seventh and eighth grade, went back to school in freshman year to try and go, try and like fit in with, with people as a, like, you know, I'm this like woods kid. I remember going to school and like that first, I think it was within within the first month, Zach and Eric's band played in the commons area at lunchtime and they were covering like rage the machine and Pantera and Slayer and, it, it, and Cannibal Corpse. Like it was so wild watching kids do this. That was like the, oh my God, if kids can play this stuff, kids can write it. Mm. And I think within that same year, our uh, social studies teacher, um, Mr. Stearns, uh we're, it's the one class I went to. Like, I would leave school. I would just go back. I'd go to social studies and current events. And talking to, I mean, just talking to Mr. Stearns about the world, that, again, this is these are, like, formative moments for me. It's like, oh, learn about what's happening in Africa right now or whatever it was. This dude, one day we're, we're doing current events, and this dude rolls in a TV, and he Press his play. He's like, you guys got to see this. Press his play and it's Hanson. And he goes, this kid, this drummer is younger than all of you. He's like, that's what kids are capable of. And I just thought that was the coolest shit ever.
0: There's like, you know, obviously a tragic history of exploitation with it too, but there's such an interesting history of kids rock bands. And like, like you're saying, like the, the act of seeing a kid, do something which is ultimately what punk is right like you get to see you know like kyle and eric's band just doing it as kids and there's something that's like yo i can just do this like there's no reason i can't just be a person in a band totally
1: no it's 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 a silver chair dude like i remember playing hockey and being like yo this kid is like two years older than me (laughs) you know so wild
0: Where'd you go? Like, what did you grow up with music wise? Like, what were your parents into? Like, were there records in the house?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, we had my dad moved up to Alaska in 70, 71, uh, right out of high school. This is like summer of love, back to the land movement. And um, his his parents were professors. My mom's parents were both professors as well. They ended up meeting in Alaska from the same town. Didn't know each other growing up. But uh, my dad had moved up to, uh, I guess, in his words and his parents, like his parents really pushed this idea of like, go, go figure out where you come from, like, go live off the land, like do, do the thing. So he and his friends went up to Alaska for the, the plan was you were going to go up there and for three years, live, go their separate ways, live in the mountains and chase and then come back after three years and beaten in Talkeetna. And uh, my dad went out there and takes his Great Dane with him. The Great Dane dies first winter, oh, <laughs> just, just totally unprepared for like what Alaskan winters are about to be. But he lives out there. He's got a five five gallon tub of grape jelly. It's like everything he could afford. <laughs> he brought grape jelly because he knew he wouldn't have anything sweet, so he brings this with him. He you know, he's got salt tarp and, you know, the first year he builds like a little hunting cabin, which you like lay down and sleep in. And I don't know how he brought this stuff along with him, but he, he ended up staying out there for those three years, came back to town and his friend group was not there. They did not stay for the three years. Um. So he came back, he started working on these odd jobs and stuff. Eventually met my mom and, uh, Just, I guess that like always searching for something, always like, what's over the next mountain? He he met Joe Reddington Sr. and Herbie Nayakpuk, who are the founders of the Iditarod, and he had built a shed for them for Joe, and he uh he traded it for a dog sled and a dog team. And took this like young family out into the woods to this cabin and outside of Taunton and Trapper Creek. And man, my first memory with music is is out there. So I'm like four, four or five years old. Um, we're out there, and he had brought his record collection for whatever reason we have one room in this place and i remember flipping through these records and seeing like jimmy hendrix i'm like whoa wow. like this this dude looks so cool and revolvers there Th- these album covers just these album covers were so exciting to me and we would so we would, i would look through these album covers and we would listen to it was mainly like am radio and oldies radio so it was like lots of like like old blues and bluegrass, um, lots of like Roy Orbison. Uh, I mean, Gene Pitney, like the Supremes, all of the like the female groups were like really exciting to me. Like they were so cool. Like the background vocals on all the early Motown and
0: soul. So and it's pretty, this like pretty a much all local- cool. Oh, I was going to say, is, is this on, like, like some sort of local radio station or, like, where, like, that's playing this stuff? Because it's, like, not necessarily mainstream pop music, certainly at that point. Yeah, it's cool,
1: 97.3 that's awesome. FM. Like, we got that. And then, like, a lot of, like, AM stations. Like, that was kind of, like, the the one that came in clearest. And that's all we really listened to up until I started playing hockey. So that's when I was introduced to Silverchair and Oasis and these bands. Like, I, honestly, dude, like for the all of my life until I started playing hockey and it was Champagne Supernova came on <laughs> at the ice rink. I thought all the best music had been made. <laughs> I was like well it all happened like they all did it like they did it in the 60s it's the beatles like it it's you know it's these bands they that these are the greatest musicians of all time it's the greatest music ever no need for anything else and then i heard uh oasis i heard uh champagne supernova and it again like wheels turning moments was oh my god like when you make a band i i don't know why this didn't ever occur to me but you it's always like paying homage to something it's always like nobody's original like nobody's coming out here like i have a new sound here i am it comes from nothing like it's it's all based on this like history and something that i've really learned uh traveling around just just doing meeting with tribes everywhere we go um through to our foundation pcm foundation um the history of song is like this first chorus first chorus like okay so that's what a song is like they all kind of have this same like drive home the point in the chorus to me that's that's the way i would look at it it's like that's the point of the song and then tell the story with the verses and hearing oasis it was like oh this is just the beatles that's so cool like somebody did something new with the beatles sound and if I'm being like, I don't, I think they did it better. Like when they, when they nailed the song, like Oasis was like, holy shit. Like you can't, don't look back in anger. Like that's a song.
0: Dude. They've got like, I would say like acquiesce there's moments, but Noel as a lyricist, it's, he, I, I, I'm i going to go Lennon and McCartney over Noel as a lyricist. <laughs> hey, you know
1: what? Uh, I I read a really funny story. He was talking about don't look back in anger. He said they were in in the studio and and, uh, Liam is like he plays a song for Liam and and Liam's like singing it back to him and like trying to remember the lyrics. Noel's writing about like their mom, standing him up beside the fireplace and quit laughing. Get that look off your face. Like he's like singing all this stuff. And he gets to the chorus, and he said, "He the way he tells it, he's like, he had some mundane lyric for this. Like, it was so boring. Like, he was just like, I need to fix that at some point. And Liam just starts singing, so Sally can't wait. She knows it's too late. And Noel is like, that idiot, Liam, like, he's, he's so dumb. He didn't hear what I was saying. And he just sang this thing that is whatever that is. Like, who is <laughs> Sally? Like, what is it? Yeah, I, I love stories like that where it's like this dude misheard what I was saying and sang a better lyric that also means nothing, you know. But yeah, Lennon McCartney, I'm, well, I'm a <laughs> lyricist, yeah. I find them, I,
0: and I also like, I love the Gallagher brothers. I think there's something about their relationship, their interaction, and like, yeah, there's a sort of melody. And it's like an anti melody in the way he sings too. That just is like, and there's that's why I I want to talk to you about this at some point because like, you're obviously someone that that can write like this, um, but there's like sort of like this like what is perfect pop? Like what is there about a song where it just hits? And there's like something about Oasis where like, like if you were to write it out on paper, it's like a band that's kind of ripping off the Beatles, singers not so hot, lyrics are. You know, they're, they're, Morrissey's feeling pretty safe right now as a lyricist type thing. But yet they do something that they're like a handful of people in the whole world can do, which is like cut through with that for, with that as their formula. Yeah. God, it's so
1: interesting. Like, dude, when you break down Oasis, I, I love the opportunities that we've had in our career to work with like some of the greatest songwriters of all time. I mean, I've been working with Paul Williams a ton. And I just, I absolutely love Paul. Like this dude, like you, you break down the the rules of songwriting and there's like, it's so funny because these rules exist because somebody intuitively did it and somebody wrote it down with, Oh, that's probably why that works. And uh, there's truth to it for sure. Um, But Oasis breaks all those yeah. fucking rules like it it, it kind of like it fucks you up because you listen to Wonderwall and you're like is that the same verse again <laughs> like <laughs> I think they said the same verse for the second verse and then you listen to it and you're like okay well everything's the chorus so like great songwriters would be like you need one note the chorus has one note that doesn't happen anywhere else in the song and it's that special mm-hmm. note and they talk about it Oasis doesn't <laughs> do that It's the same fucking thing. Like it just starts to finish. Like there was something about that band. I I think one of the smartest things that like any songwriters say is like, too much sugar is too much. Like it'll it rots Mm -hmm. your teeth. So like you you always do kind of need this thing that feels dangerous within songwriting. And I think it's so funny to even like think about that as a rule. That's something that is naturally in you. And there is so much of that shit in Liam and Noel, but like they, they are just like, they ooze it. Like, even if it's not in the song, it's it's just them. Like, they they just do not give a fuck. And they are playing, at the time, it's, I've gone back to these bands, like Happy Mondays and Stone Roses. And, like, I, I didn't hear them growing up. So, like, going back to it, it's so interesting that Oasis came out during this time when it was, like, kind of punk like anti-chorus choruses and they kind of did like Desiree like they did things that were on pop radio with structure and melody that was not happening in rock music they do it in a way that is it's so unique to them and so wrong from a songwriting point of view like it's not the blues like it the verses are for telling the story yeah yeah. you know they're they're not even really doing that and I, I find it so fascinating that it's just them as people like they have that charismatic like explosive is he gonna shove the fucking award up his ass right now? like that's crazy, which,
0: which I think is a lot of what's happening maybe in this era too now musically where not saying everyone's writing songs like Oasis could write songs, but like it feels like, Ice Spice, as as an artist, has written some of the catchiest songs, like one of the biggest artists of the last few years. But, you know, when you, sh- you hear her on a song with Nicki Minaj, you're like, oh, yeah, she can't rap like Nicki Minaj can rap. Like, she's not necessarily going for these traditional skill sets that would have made someone a quote-unquote good artist in their respective genres. Like, but she's got that thing, whatever that thing is, where the songs are catchy, but there's also just something about that personality that's just cut through and it maybe it's not even a danger in this case but there's something that's just captured the the zeitgeist imagi- imagination
1: yeah dude, that's so funny. see that that's punk
0: to me i, I spice
1: is punk <laughs> like, that shit is just like i don't know how you stop it like you can't stop it that's the point uh, so that's one thing i've always felt about punk music is like it's it's not it's it's so wild to me when people are like oh that's not punk like it needs to have like distorted guitars or like what whatever it is like there's so many punk to me is just that mentality of like i don't give a fuck who the fuck is radiohead i don't care about radiohead what what song have they written like the way they talk about this stuff is like they're just being themselves and they are being honest like as it pertains to me, like I, like I don't give a shit, you know, I'm doing this and I don't care. Nobody's going to stop me. I mean, there's so much of that that I think is, is so powerful and it's way more powerful than any like
0: sound. It's interesting though. Cause like you bring up Radiohead or even when you brought up the happy Mondays, like even Oasis a little bit too, like they all have these, you know, and, and once again, like not necessarily ice spice, but like, you know, more from the rock kind of, world it all does connect back to punk like Tom York played in Headless Chickens before Radiohead like uh there was like Happy Mondays were like going to like you know Manchester kind of punk shows or post punk shows before they formed the band and you know Oasis is always repping the Sex Pistols like it does have this tie back to this sort of uh I don't know like this the same place in a weird way like you can connect all the dots
1: Yeah definitely I mean that's yeah, you're just reminding me of this. Like, we just played a show recently. Sorry to make it about us for a second,
0: But Dude, It's about you. If, uh, if it's about me. I failed at this fucking job. <laughs> Let me make it about me for a second.
1: Now I'm gonna make it about my daughter. There's there's something in those people that's like it's it's just bubbling up. Punk is just your first. I, to me, like I I remember the, the first thing I ever learned to play on guitar, and sing was Minor Threat by Minor Threat and it was showing like Zach can you show me how to play this and there was something just about like it's just that feeling of wanting to explode and this is the quickest way I can get it out and I can yell it and it feels so good to like get get that out watching all this like resurgence of like hardcore and seeing it all kind kind of like come back around in like the mainstream it's like it, to me, that kind of like points to like a deeper thing happening in music. Is there something bubbling up right now? And it's really exciting to see it. Um, but so back to me, um, we were playing a show in Portland and I watched my daughter. So our, our daughter, our daughter has this like, we'll probably talk about it later, but she has this d- nano rare disease and it's neurodegenerative um it's pretty terrifying and I've just been trying to create situations for her where I'm like she's got this like she's got that personality she has this thing that like wants to come out and uh I saw her side stage and she she's 12 years old um we're playing a song that she sang on in the studio and I I waved to her and I was like hey you want to like, kind of give her the nod like you want to come out and she like jumps up and down and runs out on stage and she grabs Zoe's mic. And she starts doing this thing that was so like, it was such a like punk move. It was like hardcore. Like she, she's out there. She's like grabs the mic and she goes, Hey, uh, and she doesn't normally talk like this, but she goes, uh, you're, just remember your parents always love you. And if you have love in your hearts, Uh, she just gave this like little speech really quick. And then she would start singing the words. Like we started singing. She starts singing words with us and she'd sing something. And then she'd say something to the crowd and sing, say something. And then she starts doing this thing where she's going, she's going, hi, hi. I see you. I see you. I see you. And she's like pointing at people and just going, I see you. And I thought it was, yeah, it was so cool that that's Mm -hmm. punk to me like that that is that feeling of like you're saying the thing that i'm feeling you're expressing yourself in a way like so so i will say like like punk is not a leather jacket but when you see somebody put on that leather jacket you go wow you're doing the thing that is like it makes me want to do my thing i want to put tie the cape on and go to school and have the crown or like whatever like the bunny ears like whatever it is and just be yourself man like being fun being a kid forever is that's that's like some real shit to me being a kid who's just like expressing like what we all want to feel when we go to a show like you see me that's (laughs)
0: Pretty cool idea. And that's what it is. Like it's, it's the green light that says everything and everyone's form of expression is valid and can have space. And you don't need the talent. You don't need to workshop your skills. You don't need to, you know, woodshed on your instrument. You can just get up there and do it and let all that stuff kind of fall into place later on.
1: Yeah. It, it kind of shows like, again, like, so you go into those, those rooms with like songwriters and, and you, it, I think it's really exciting. I don't get invited to a lot of those rooms, math.
0: John, go figure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You're, you're like the exciting thing okay. for everybody. It, and that, and that's what I think is so funny in those rooms. is like, they all want to be you. No. Like they, like it's, it's like, I don't know. Honest pop is different than, uh, than formulaic pop because those both those things mm. exist. Ice Spice, it, like this is like honest, like this is who I am I am expressing that. There are some really great pop songs, but it's it's so funny because they're all chasing that thing that you intuitively do.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And you do it without like get me invited to some of these rooms, do do man. Without, like, get me in. Notes. Get me in these rooms. <laughs>
1: Yo, you wanna come? That would be fun <laughs> as hell. Let's go make a mess, dude. Uh yeah, we'll see if we ever get invited back.
0: Well, I didn't mean to cut you off on that point too. The I kind of interjected there and 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 see that's this is what I fucked up on. I inserted myself into your story now already.
1: No, I like it. Very, very normal <laughs> of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're both canadian it's, i love it it's, interview, it's a canadian me and nardwar norm mcdonald we're all cut from the same autistic cloth not totally, <laughs> totally. But I, I like – you know, you brought up Paul Williams earlier, and he is – I've told you this before. He's my favorite songwriter ever, ever. And even though he told me <laughs> when I met him, he after we did the interview, he came up to me. And I was – he's my favorite songwriter ever, so I was running a little hot. He's like – hands me his number and his email address, and he's like, if you ever decide to get sober, please call me. And I was completely sober during this whole interview, so <laughs> – uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow That's perfect uh, but, That's so Paul Yeah and, but it's interesting You bring him up In contrast to Oasis Because What he does Is like an impenetrable Form of song Like it's, it's perfect Like the melody The lyrics Like everything he does Like it's funny It does stand in Almost complete contrast To Oasis And yet both are Successful In what they're doing And both are writing You know obviously uh, Songbook songs
1: yeah, well I mean Paul definitely has the like it definitely had the personality too. When, when he talked I mean just even that conversation that you had with Paul, like he was on yeah. Carson. Oh like, yeah <laughs> all the time. Like dude, he was all he's on TV constantly and just wild and reckless. And you know what's funny? Like no just knowing him now, like he's still wild and reckless. Like it is so funny, like hanging out with that dude and you know, so he's he's on the end of our album. He like he he's he makes this appearance. I've I've written a lot of songs with Paul, and they're all so it's, dude. It's just the way he speaks. It's it's the most honest shit you've ever heard. He is just he comes from this place where it's just it's all so poetic. The way like he'll tell you about driving. I was driving to the studio. And, you know, they'll talk about the wind in his hair and just driving his car down the street, stuck in traffic, you know, and what the traffic looks like. And, you know, the shape it must have taken from, you know, above, you know, like he does this thing that Paul is just he is one of my favorite people in the world to write with. So absolutely inspiring. And the end of our album so he's he's talking to me in the studio. We were writing together and I'm holding the mic from, it's just kind of how we do it. Like we kind of do duet style, like you're singing, I'm singing. And we were talking about what the last song in the album is about. And I'm talking to him about anxiety and he starts writing and he's kind of like, you know, bopping out some melodies and some lyric ideas. And then he just starts talking to me about anxiety well, everybody's scared. and it, it's like this forest fires coming over the mountain and it's biblical. it's cinematic. And he's talking about how if you don't get too caught up in that anxiety because it will consume you. He's talking about how it's coming at you and you're watching it. you're stuck in like the beauty and in awe of this thing that's eventually going to sweep through you. and it just, it, to me, like, I don't know. I haven't really done a spoken word thing on an album, but it just, it was so fitting. Like he was like genuinely giving me advice and it it felt so right to end the album on this like bit of Paul Williams advice. You know,
0: it's it only comes from that dude. Yeah, he's got like, uh, I don't know. You see that in the documentary that came out about him too. Like he has this kind of like, compassion and, and the way of looking at the world that you really comes through in this music and you're know, not to get overly analytical on it because i'm not a psychiatrist i'm just a stoner but like there's a uh you could see how someone like that might need to to dull that with drugs and alcohol at a certain point like to try and to try and have the ability to take all or to have that ability to take everything in and to be expressing it and then that becoming your trade i could see how that would would grind someone down
1: he thinks a lot he's a deep thinker for sure um yeah what, what an incredible person i mean he's he's just shifted everything to be caring for others you know he's the president yeah. of ASCAP. <laughs> and i <laughs> that's so, did i ever tell you how no, we i was gonna ask of, like, were you familiar happened? with
0: his music before you met him even yeah, you know what's funny
1: though is Kyle Kyle's a huge Paul Williams fan,
0: yeah. our keyboard player.
1: Um I am as well. I we've never talked about it. So during making our third album, Censored Colors, we were staying in this basement. We're all sleeping in the basement together. There's one bunk bed, but we all slept under the bunk bed on the <laughs> on the ground together. And every night we would watch *Phantom of the Paradise*. That's my favorite. Like every oh single night. Oh my god, night. my favorite movie. It, oh, it, it, Jesus! Like I mean, it's it's so incredible. And we would watch that, and then we'd listen to Paul. And what's funny is we we didn't really talk about this. Kyle wasn't in the band at the time. I wrote this whole album uh, in two weeks. Like it was, I think it was two weeks recording, and it was done. Sending out so years later this is 6 years ago i guess 7 years ago um we're playing this music cares event and we are we're doing like fleetwood mac covers for fleetwood mac <laughs> uh we did a lindsay buckingham song and he apparently did not like our version <laughs> our how did he express he left laughed. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> fuck you man whatever like and hey, we're just a yes. band man like doing our thing uh so we were walking back so so we're just at this event and we're walking back backstage and kyle goes oh my god guys i got a picture with paul williams apparently as we were walking by paul williams was like walk walking by as well and kyle grabbed him and got a picture with him so we post the photo um and paul dm's us immediately. And he's like, "So nice to meet you guys. Um would you want to write together?" I'm like, Hell, yes, this is Paul Williams. We fly him up to Portland. Dude, he came to us.
0: that's awesome.
1: Flies up to Portland to record, spends three days, and it just the most fun, like most magical three days songwriting wrote a song a day, and uh the last night we're eating we're eating dinner together, and he goes. Let's be honest, guys. The only reason you wanted to write with me is because I'm the president of ASCAP. (laughs) And all of us were like, you're what? (laughs) You're the president of ASCAP? And Paul was just like, you guys are such idiots, you know? And it was just like kind of the perfect meeting for all of us to be like, yeah, we are idiots. Like, we're just fans of Paul Williams. (laughs) Like, I had no idea he was president. He's like, my name's on the checks, dude. Like, (laughs) my name is on the (laughs) plaque, you know? You just did, had no idea. But if, if, funnily enough, like even after that, Kyle goes, You know, I've been on this Paul Williams kick and I'm learning some of the old songs. Your song created it sounds so like such a Paul Williams song. And I was like, That's funny because that's all we were <laughs> listening to when we recorded that album. We're just listening to Paul Williams. Kyle had no idea I even listened to Paul Williams.
0: You that's know, a, one of- so funny. <laughs> having him see that that's awesome well because like i find like he's like one of those artists and and certainly phantom of the paradise is one of those movies that's like a secret code when you find out that someone's into paul williams or phantom of the paradise and i mean like really into it you know it's going to be a fun hang because it's like okay we've got the bases covered on the best shit already yeah yeah i've always wanted to do like a so I want someone to do like a revival or a tribute record to *Fan of the Paradise. Because, you know, Tegan and Sarah are like unbelievably huge fans. Whoa, yeah. that's wild. I guess in Canada, I think in Winnipeg, it ran and it still holds the box office record for the longest running film ever or something.
1: Yeah, you know, I just saw that on Reddit. It's cool the that you're day. in a
0: position now where you get to work with your heroes, and and I think that's like that's I don't know that's my maybe because I haven't found any sort of commercial success with this music thing, but to me that's like what this has always been about is realizing that your heroes are actually your peers.
1: It totally, it totally, uh, man. I'm trying to think. Yeah, Paul. Paul's just one of those dudes he's just one of those people I shouldn't even say dudes like he's just like one of those people who is he's he's so fun and so like um immediately disarming like you're you're like this is like I feel like I've known you forever you know like he's he's one of those guys that I love when you meet heroes that are like oh you you could be like my
0: dad's buddy (laughs) I think that's That's probably why I thought I was all fucked up on drugs when I met him, because I was just like, Well, I've listened (laughs) to your music for so long. You've painted such vivid pictures for me and watched all these interviews with you. So we're just buddies. So it's okay that I'm gonna be real high energy on you right now.
1: Yeah, dude. That I mean, that's the nature of like the internet age that I think is so fun and it's just so cool. Like you see people doing like podcasts or TV shows, like the the podcast and like YouTube space, I think is the most, uh, I, I guess that's where you feel the most connected to people. Like you hear them talk every single day and you're like,
0: yeah, we're friends. Like I've, I've known you. This was pre-podcast. This is when I used to have my TV show on, uh, much music up here. I used to have a a music video show that played alternative music videos. And I found out Paul Williams was coming. I'm like, we got to have him on the show. (laughs) Yeah. Get, Get of the, the show. animal collective set. We're putting on a Paul Williams video. <laughs> uh, going back, oh, going back it. before you were like rubbing shoulders with the uh greatest American songwriters, how did Anatomy of a Ghost come together? Were you still in Alaska? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I was actually. So, like, Anatomy of a Ghost is like this mashup. Uh, which I think is probably pretty clear when you listen to to the music. There, there were these bands. There was a band called Nice Guy Eddie um, from Alaska, who moved to Portland. And when they moved, this is again, this is like we're like eighteen years old. They they moved as soon as they could. They're going to pursue pursue music. So Zach, our bass, bassist, lives down in in Oregon. Uh, that band moved to Oregon okay. I had started making these bedroom demos and uh, I, w- I was just making music I, I honestly I just wanted to like write songs I, I didn't want to sing for a band I didn't want to do any of this stuff but I, I couldn't find a way to do it with so I'm like recording things like drum machines um, guitars and I'm singing on all of it And I sent this stuff out to labels and this band, Um, just like these are friends of mine. So I was like, oh, this is what I'm working on. Uh, Funnily enough, I got I got a call from one of these labels. So uh, Lobster Records was one that wrote me back. Did Lobster
0: Records, what did they put it like uh, Wild Herd or like they were like they were like a label that did some stuff with like strung out affiliated type bands or Lagwagon affiliated type bands, right? Totally, yeah,
1: totally, yeah. They had a band called Mock Orange, I believe. Was Mock Orange? Um, And
0: and wasn't like, um, like Nerf Herder at some point, or like maybe I'm confusing with another band.
1: Maybe so. That's, I mean that that sounds right. But (laughs) Steve Lobster Records wrote me handwritten letter was like nice work, you know. Like we're going to keep at it. I'm like okay, cool. Uh, I actually got a call from a hip-hop label because my number was on the cds that i got sent out i got a call from this hip-hop label and i talked to him like three times uh this dude was he was really like just stoked he's like he's like yo, i got this hip-hop label it's called castlevania with a k <laughs> I could, i've never found anything about it and he's like i want to put out your records and we talk a few times and he goes but like the last time we talked he was like he was like uh so when am I going to talk to the girl that sings for the band? <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I'm like an Alaskan kid, and I'm just like, oh my god, I'm never singing again. I can't, can't, I, like I, I'll never talk to this person again. Like I just <laughs> never called him back. I was like, oh yeah, no, I'll have her call you. And I was like, oh man, what? Like, like I'm I'm not coming across right, you know. Oh. It's something that I've like really come to embrace,
0: you know. I want you to know that uh, I heard you on another interview mention Castlevania records and I was like, shit, what is that? And I think I may have found it on Discogs uh, that there was a Castlevania Entertainment that did one record by Eternal, which also featured Castlevania. And it's straight STR8 from the Dungeon.
1: Wow. i don't know the same one can you send me a link, to, link to this
0: because i was like and when i heard that i'm like what, was, what the hell was this label dude, dude I, haven't
1: found, <laughs> I haven't found anything like i'm i look for it you know uh yeah so funny but like i decided i would never make music <laughs> i was like oh. i can't like i need to find a singer and, like i'm looking for somebody to do it because again dude like i'm just like small town alaska kid And, like, I I love Roy Orbison. I love Gene Pitney. Like, the reason I always fell in love with, like, falsetto and all this stuff is because I I like the Supremes, Mm -hmm. you know? I love Tina Turner. Like, I love this stuff. And, yeah, Roy Orbison. I want to hit those, like, high notes. Um, It was always so fun seeing my dad sing the falsetto on on car rides. He would sing falsetto on, you know, all these songs. Super fun. But, these CDs had gone out and I think it was like a year before Anatomy of a Ghost hit me up. So these guys, I had actually like, that was the name on my demo was Anatomy of a Ghost. Like it was just like, that was the name of the thing. Uh, it wasn't really, it wasn't screaming or anything. It it ended up uh, with my friends. So my my friends get this CD and they call me, they say, Hey, would you be cool with us calling our band an Anatomy of a Ghost? I'm like, Yeah, sure. Like I I'm not using it. Like I I've like re- really kind of stopped doing that. So I'm just trying to write songs. Um They're like, Okay, cool. Would you want to come down and visit us? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. Like I would love to fly down, like warp tour is happening or whatever's happening at the time. Like, let's let's go down there. I came down and it just started going to shows and I was going to shows at like $3 shows with like 20 people there seeing bands that I knew and going, "Whoa, another like wheel turning moment where I was like, Oh shit, you don't need money to play music. Like I was always under the assumption that you like made a lot of money playing music. <laughs> and I was like, that's impossible. Yeah, the a myth, the myth. <laughs> you can't make money, <laughs> you can't make money playing music. And then I went down to Portland and I saw $3 shows and $10 t-shirts. I was like, oh, you guys aren't making money. Or, like, you're making gas money. That was really exciting for me,
0: weirdly enough. Did, did, <laughs> like that was Did, exciting. like, any bands tour up to Alaska? Like, I was trying to think. Like, I, I imagine, like, bigger bands would, right? Like, the odd one?
1: Yeah, they did. So, so I saw... Um, there's a few shows that I saw. There was a place called Gigs that was up there for a minute, and I I, I think it was just really mm-hmm. short lived. But I I went and saw um, Jesus. Oh lizard wow,
0: that's there. awesome! I didn't know they did
1: that. Was that was crazy? There was nobody there. <laughs>
0: Probably why gigs didn't there was last. Nobody
1: there, and and he was jumping all over the audience. I was. I'm seriously like. 16, 17 years old, there by myself. And I've like backed up in the corner of this dark room like, please don't see me. Please don't see me. I'm like a really, really shy kid. Like, I'm so unbelievably shy. Like, I couldn't order my own food for the longest time. I mean, so I was like 25. Like, I'm straight up like, I'm a woods kid. Like, I live in the woods, but I know about gigs so I'm driving up to see every single show I could come across. Just you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk downstairs yeah, yeah. real quick with this because Frances is getting back. She will run in here. Um, yeah. So I saw them. I saw Unseen.
0: Damn, that's the noise rock uh, circuit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they played there. I think it was a lot of like bands with like random, like one hit, super deluxe. Um, so I, I did see some shows. Agent Orange came up <laughs> to Alaska quite a bit,
0: actually. I think it's no wonder why gigs did not survive. like these these are all shows that I would love to be at, but I think I can understand like why it might not yeah. have been the draw.
1: <laughs> no, seriously. i I could only imagine like how much they were paying to bring yeah. people up. and then nobody shows up. you know i I could probably count how many sold out shows I was at but um, yeah they were always like really small um, but again I was thinking like you're coming up to Alaska so you must be hmm. big it was that experience in Portland that really like kind of set me on this like okay you don't need any of that stuff I'm down in Portland and the guys in anatomy of a ghost go hey could we play a couple of your songs and Of course, I'm not using them. I want to be a songwriter. This is a perfect opportunity for me to be a songwriter. Please play my songs. Uh, Expecting that they were going to sing them. But I'm down there. So they go, well, will you come sing them? And I I go, Okay, cool. Like, I'm going to do everything the opposite of what I would normally do, which is I don't like being in front of people. I don't want to sing. I don't want to do any of this stuff. I, I go to the sh- the first show with them, and I think I played like two songs with them. Uh, they they played the rest of the set. I just did two songs, and then um, they so they booked another show because this is that time like when bands you would just play like, can I play a show next weekend? <laughs> cool. I think mean, it's weird because I I like, I'm I'm in that mode right now myself where I'm just like, what what the fuck happened like booking shows six, eight months out. Like, dude, we used to do Can I play tomorrow? Can I come in and do something? Like what happened to that? I think it's so, so fun, but basically what happened is we, we played five shows while I was down there. So first one I sang a couple songs. Okay. Like they're going to learn more of my songs. And this band is like fully a, democracy and like, like Dewey loves hardcore Joe loves Led Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. I like the Beatles, uh, Nick Simon likes what he likes. And it just ended up being this mashup of, of everything. And I think it's actually like a big reason it fell apart. Mainly because we got signed off of like our fifth show rise records was at our fifth
0: show. Were they just starting there. at that
1: point in rise? I guess. I think it had been around i know we were the first band to recoup yeah, okay. <laughs> i, I don't <did, laughs> you know that, that much and we saw like dude the contract is so whack um, and i don't care if anybody says anything to me about it it was a really shitty contract like it was like we'll split everything 50 50 you know it's it's like a paragraph you know and uh yeah in hindsight Yeah, 50-50. That's crazy. What the hell? Like, songs and everything. So is that that Rise before Fearless? Yeah, Yeah, it was Rise licensed us to
0: Fearless. Oh, weird. So, Did the record come out on Rise, or did it come out originally on Fearless?
1: Originally came out on Fearless. Or not Fearless, on Rise. Rise. Originally came out on Rise, then we signed to Fearless. Um, I don't know, like, if I'm, like, over or crossing any lines or whatever and <laughs> talking about, like, all of this yeah. stuff. But when we signed, we did this deal. It, I mean, it was rad. Uh, we, the main thing we asked for was, like, a non-recoupable van. I was, like, all oh, we really wanted, you know, 20 grand for, like, gear. And uh, we would figure everything out um but yeah that's that's what we did when we signed to to fearless and anatomy never fulfilled any of that
0: contract that ended up being that that's the contract that i took over it's it's interesting how you know like yourselves and you know band like alexis on fire like there's these bands that are like kind of coming on to this sound organically at the same time there's like sort of a push in other places that had to, to get to the sound like it's interesting how there's two paths to wind up getting lumped into the kind of the screamo world like one is a sort of organic sound that you end up making and the other thing is like very sort of it seems like contrived like we're going to be this type of band to do this and get in a hot topic and do that
1: yeah i mean i i think that's kind of the nature of what you think a band is and they, they can definitely be those bands uh, this and this is just my opinion on it. Uh, our our keyboard player at one point, Ryan, had a really funny way of describing our band. <laughs> we were doing an interview in Germany, and and uh, the interviewer says, "Would you describe your band as a democracy or a dictatorship?" And Ryan sits back and he goes, "I think it's more of a democracy." <laughs> And I thought it was so funny because it was definitely a dig at me, like being like, well, this is what it sounds like, you know, but we also all like contribute that anatomy of a ghost was a full, um, like I was the singer of the band. I I wasn't like the, I wasn't the leader of the band. There was like, that was like Joe and Nick. That was like Mm -hmm. their band, the the brothers. And it's kind of, it's, it's kind of cool looking back at that stuff and be like we all just kind of did whatever the fuck we wanted like that's all it was like do we want yelling on this like you should yell here like and i'm like okay i'm gonna yell like okay i'll do it and i i love so much of that i just never felt like i had the voice for that you know like i always wanted to to have that like to be able to shout and like get out my feelings in that way. And I I do it a lot live, but yeah, I I never really felt it on, um, felt like I sounded good.
0: I think it's like the most free position in any genre that someone can have in music. Maybe like, no, I think free jazz requires more technical ability, like performance art, like being a lead singer in a hardcore band or doing that kind of aggressive vocal. There's no other type of, position in music that just says, okay, it's all about emotion, it's all about passion, there's no virtuosity, you know, there's there's obviously a skill to not lose your voice and not blow your voice, but at the same time, like, it's just completely free. Like, I had a friend of mine who's a a rapper come in and want to do, like, a hardcore thing with me, and I was like, he kept trying too hard, and I'm like, no, dude, you don't have to try hard at all, like, just go in there and just let it the fuck out, and there's no other thing in music that's like that. Like, everything else requires, like, a lot more thought to go into it, it seems. Maybe because I have no talent in anything but yelling in a band. (laughs) Dude, uh, as
1: somebody who's tried it, I would say there's an extreme talent in it. And I, I, dude, I... Man, hardcore and punk to me, especially, like, how far it's come, like, the tempo shifts and like everything that happens within it is like it's so ADD in the best way like I, I am ADHD man like I like I bounce from one thing to the next I'm like down for that like shift but it, it is like full-on emotion musically it's full-on emotion it's it, the technical talent that goes into that and I mean like we were talking about t- songwriters earlier like they're all trying to do that and you do it with so much more like raw honesty and emotion than they're capable of in a lot of cases and I, th- I think it's 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 my favorite world to have toured in I mean like we do a lot of like really funny stuff now and sit down with Taco Bell and all, all of that and all I can think about is, like, what Taco Bell meant to the hardcore well, Turnstiles got a Taco... like
0: vegan straight. Hey, oh, to- Turnstile's got a uh, Taco Bell song, too, so it's still in hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's, it's fascinating how it, like, you know, like, it, it's so different, but yet it's ultimately still the same goal of, like, trying to make something that people relate to. And, like, even if you're doing the the harshest sound possible, like, you could be the most blackened, crust, grind, doom band. But at the end of the day, you want people to respond to your music. Otherwise, you just wouldn't ever play live. You just wouldn't put it out. you just do it for yourself.
1: Well, that's where, like, the the honesty is is so important. I mean, like, we we toured. Uh, dude, I just pulled up a – somebody posted a flyer of us. Voice in the Well, Fear Before the March of Flames, Portugal the Man, and Heavy, Heavy, Low, Low. And it just like, it hit me with all this like, because that's the scene that we came up in. And I always found it so fascinating. Like, I, it, this has always been music to me. So this is songwriting, like like whatever it is, like pop songwriting and just the power of honesty in music, the power of like being who you are. That's, that's why like, that never clicked for me because like I, I grew up on the Beatles and Motown. Like I like I like writing lyrics and I like the way the melodies connect and I'm completely in awe of like the hardcore bands that we toured with and the punk scene and just how you are just saying exactly what you think and not sitting down to like, well, how does that word connect to this word? you know like <laughs> I grew up on Weird Al man like I love how he plays with lyrics like I I I love that and it, it's it's something that I feel like I I can do in a way but like I watch this thing that I absolutely cannot do and I'm just like uh, it absolutely just in awe it's it's so powerful it means so much to me like I see you, I see, like, Francis, I see you. Like, doing that shit is, like, I just, I love that feeling of being there and being a part of it.
0: What's funny, you brought up um, uh, uh, Weird Al. Like, that is foundational, not to every single kid, I mean, but, like, I guarantee more kids grew up relating and listening to Weird Al Than probably the Beatles at this point, just because he's been a multi generational artist at this point, like thirty plus years, he's been doing it. Forty years. Yeah,
1: Al. I mean, we've always like we've said this since the beginning. Like we would not be here without Weird Al. I mean, Yoda is. I mean, leave out like how problematic Lola can be today. um, It's a better song. (laughs) Like, Al did you, Lola better than the Kinks, man. Like, Yoda is by far, like, lyrically one of the be- best songs I've ever heard. Like, Al's delivery on it. Watching Al sing for Francis every morning. And she goes, I want to listen to Another One Rides the Bus. And I'm like, well, there's a song called Another One Bites the Dust. Do you want to hear it? It's not as good, (laughs) you know, like she knows like, yeah, Al, Al taught us how to, I mean, he's such a great example in so many ways. Like he taught us how to not take ourselves too seriously. to 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 see the joke in all of this, like in this world, like just parody is it's, it's so perfectly what music should be. Like, it's fun. It's, it's, he's telling you a story and he's making you laugh. He he sends you through so many different emotions when you listen to his music. And then he's introducing you to Nirvana.
0: You know, he's introducing you to these things. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think I've ever admitted this publicly, but I was a Guns N' Roses kid and uh, it was Weird Al's cover of Nirvana. that got me into Nirvana because Nirvana was the enemy to me. And then hearing Weird Al's parody, I'm like, okay, this band, this band's awesome. So <laughs> <laughs> They can't, be, they so can't bad. be so bad. Maybe <laughs> Guns N' Roses is the bad guy. Man, you're a
1: Guns N' Roses kid. You're a Guns N' Roses kid. That I find surprising.
0: Well, it's weird, but Izzy Stradlin um played in The Adams, a punk band from LA, and Duff McKagan played in all those Seattle punk bands. And you know, they're 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 kind of doing the New York dolls meets Hanoi Rocks thing, but like obviously adding a little bit more of a harder edge to it. So I don't know. It's funny. Like, I obviously, certain songs and certain lyrics they wouldn't even want to go back to at this point, and for good reason. There is something about that music, though, that I could see oh, yeah, I can see why that would eventually lead me to getting into punk music. And ultimately, Nirvana, I think it was just because I'm very partisan in my life, so I have to pick a side.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I missed Guns N' Roses. I I I mean I pretty much just got introduced to Nirvana through Weird Al. I mean it was I had like the same kind of route to it. I I, I had these uh the church going neighbors and they they listened to Weird Al. So that's like another one of my like hockey and then
0: neighbors
1: um, listening to Weird Al. That that's that's how I have heard a lot of those
0: songs. Well, I don't want to keep you forever, and this is taking a long time to come together. Uh, but I would love if you came back and did a part two at some time.
1: Uh, let's do it. Let's bring Paul. Oh to...
0: man, round two. Can we bring
1: <laughs> Dude, I would love to hear Paul talk about what he was seeing
0: happen. I would be Paul. fascinated because you know what's also you and he inspired so many punk people with Fan of the Paradise. But there's that one scene in Fan of the Paradise where the record exec Paul is going through all the different artists doing the song and you can hear it in all these different genres. And I forget if there's one, that's kind of like a metal band that does it for a second before beef does it. And I'm like, Oh, I would kill for a whole record of Paul writing songs in this style. Oh
1: yeah. Oh dude. Like he, I, he is my favorite person to write with. Let's do it. I I feel like we should do something. I've talked to him a lot about doing like a, I want to make a prog record with Paul (laughs) just because like his storytelling is so good. And just to take it on like a a crazy journey would be so fun. Very linear.
0: Have you ever heard that Holy Mackerel record that he did? It's like pre, it's his like first Uh, band. I think his brother might be in it too. I don't think so. Oh, it's awesome. It's like sunshine pop. It's just, uh, oh, it's, it's wicked. Uh, You'll love it. No yeah, way! It's awesome. You'll dig it.
1: Yes, yeah, send it to me. I'm I'm like pretty specifically like. Uh, first of all, I don't remember album titles at all. It's it's funny because people ask me like for Beatles like favorite Beatles songs. I'm like, I I don't know. I li- I put on the record and I I know. You're what like Champagne like, Supernova. You know? <laughs> yeah Champagne Supernova is my favorite Beatles song it can't be done better Cannot than that. that maybe don't look back in anger <laughs> <laughs> Wonderwall it's all choruses
0: oh uh, well this has been all choruses so and John anytime you want another refrain I'm always here to back you up how was that for some music talk
1: <laughs> is that music talk is that like a... Right, I think do you know what I learned What's the that? other day I learned what a bar is like, like the I learned what a bar like is that you mean, or
0: like, I don't, maybe I don't even know. Like, what is it? Like
1: how, whatever you just did is,
0: uh, yeah, four that's counts. it. Oh, good, yeah. man.
1: Yeah. I got that. <laughs> two, <laughs> I got that. Two we, professional
0: musicians, <laughs> one, a Grammy did. winner. And we're just learning what a bar is.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I learned what that was the other day. And, uh, it was pretty embarrassing. We were playing with a the Colorado symphony. this like 60 piece orchestra and the the conductor turned to me at one point because i had come in singing and he was giving me a funny look and he goes it's 20 bars you came in early and i'm sitting there like what the hell is this guy talking about like what do you mean what's a bar dude like i've never had to learn it now i know i got it i understand
0: math Thank you, John, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, John will be back for a part two at some point in the future. Because we got more to talk about. Check out Portugal the Man uh, live. Check out that record. Chris Black changed my life. And, uh, yeah, be back soon. John, come back soon. Bring Paul. We'll have a fun time. Speaking about fun times, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk. From the legendary band AOD. Dave Schwartzman will be on the show, and he has put out a fantastic book called If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Walla Walla, The Wacky History of Adrenaline O.D. For those of you who are not familiar, A.O.D., Adrenaline O.D., fantastic band from New Jersey, hardcore band from New Jersey, that links a lot of seemingly disparate parts of punk, hardcore, and metal. And we talk all about it on the next episode. Lots of good stories on this one. And that is it for today. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights. Stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races. And because we're not talking about politics. This is just basic human rights. People deserve to be able to live free from hate, violence, and discrimination. And then we can worry about politics. So if there's organizations that are affecting positive change in your community, uh, get involved. I'm sure they could use your uh, your support, your your time, uh, money if you have some to spare, uh, and it'll help you feel better because it just does. Speaking of things that help you feel better, get involved in your local punk scene. Start a band. Put on a show. Put a you know, put up flyers. I don't know. Just get involved. Start a podcast, even. There, there's lots of ways you can get involved. Podcasts, not as much, but there's lots of other ways you can get involved. Sign your organ donor cards, because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. And it's just literally dead weight that someone's going to have to worry about getting rid of when they do whatever they're going to do to your body. So, donate those organs, because they can perform miracles. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. And uh, try meditating. I got into it a couple years ago, and uh, it really has been a benefit to my life, and maybe, maybe it'll be a benefit to yours. And that is it for me. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, and see you on the next episode. Bye.